So we're coming to the end of our series. All summer we've been in Philippians, and we're going to close it off today. We have, if you've been here the whole time, or if you've been able to listen to things online, there's a lot in Philippians. But it all centers around a few key ideas. Rejoicing. Whatever it is you're going through. Now here's Paul in prison, and he keeps saying to them to have joy. Um, being together, being of one mind, being unified, kind of theme that goes all throughout this book. And as we come to the end, Paul doesn't add a new theme. In fact, this really is kind of a, just an, an ending part to it. He's going to take a key idea that he's been talking about throughout the book, and he's going to put a capstone on it. Back in the early 1980s, there was an animated movie called The Secret of Nim. Who's seen The Secret of Nim? All right, most of you. Um, whether you liked it or didn't like it or whatever you thought of the movie, uh, what I want to talk about is something that Mrs. Brisby, who is the mouse and the lead character, what she goes through. The basic plot is she has to move her family. They live in a cinder block on the farm, and it's plowing season. And she's got to move her family for the summer, and then she'll move back. Now, that's a little bit of a hassle, but not a big deal. But then there's a complication that is added in. Her son, Timothy, has pneumonia, and he can't be moved. That little picture right there, that's what I feel like the real issues in my life are when I struggle with joy, peace, contentment, all of those things. It's not my regular kind of day-to-day, -day, even the things that are hard. It's the things that are thrown in that make it more complicated. It would be one thing if her son was sick and they had to tend to her son until he got better. It'd be one thing if they had to move to get away from the plow and then come back. It's when they get thrown together at just the wrong time. I mean, he could have gotten sick at any point. Why right now? Do you ever have that feeling? Why right now? Why did it have to happen at this moment? I mean, this would have been okay, this would have been okay, but together? In my family, um, we have had no broken bones except for one. One broken bone. Now, a broken bone, it was a broken wrist, um, and some of you may remember my daughter wearing a cast for a long time. It's bad, but it's not terrible by itself. That came right after we moved from my wife's insurance to the church insurance. It's church insurance. It's that good. There's a $6,000 deductible before they pay anything and the arm costs 5900 and something and change. I was not planning on paying that at that point. Why then? Like, like two weeks earlier, you could have done it. Break your arm then, girl. 
But when it compounds, how are we supposed to, at that point, still have peace, have contentment, have joy? Well, the movie is called The Secret of Nim. And there's this secret that she's going to learn that could help her, that could save her, that could rescue her. Paul has a secret that he is going to give the Philippian church. It is Paul's secret to contentment, no matter what is compounding in your life. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 as we end this. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Again, we're getting kind of personal at this point. He's, he's given everything he wants to say, and now it's back to the, you know, I'm just, I am so excited. I'm thrilled that you Philippians are once again showing your concern for me. Oh, and no, 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 I didn't mean that you didn't want to. You couldn't. I understand that. There was something blocking it, but now that you have, I am so excited. I am so thrilled. Thank you for again showing your amazing concern for me. But then that leads to what he wants to end with. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Uh, don't misunderstand me, Philippians. It wasn't that like I was desperately in need of something and somehow you let me down. In fact, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation? Just, just play some things in your mind right now about your life. Whatever situation? I, I, I know many of your situations. And I know you've got to be going, ah, maybe this is hyperbole. I mean, there's a lot of hyperbole in Scripture. Maybe this is one of those. But he goes on, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of and facing right there. If you're looking at the ESV, that is not in the Greek. There is nothing there, in fact. Um, they've added it in as a means of trying to make sense of this, and I want to argue that it is better to have contentment in there, that what he said just before that is still what he's talking about. I've learned the secret of contentment when facing plenty or hunger, abundance or need. Doesn't matter what circumstance. And I think, again, that's part of our issue. It's the varied nature it's the randomness, it's the compounding, it's what we weren't expecting, it's all of these things that just suddenly come on us, and we're still supposed to have contentment and peace and joy in that? And Paul says, whatever it is. Now, we need to at least give Paul a hearing. All right, I'm going to be honest. I doubt, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about some of the situations of my life going, if you knew, Paul, what I'm going through, you would not be saying that. You would have a little clause in there, there'd be an exception, a little asterisk, down at the bottom here, unless you're going through these things here. Hey, here's Paul's life in a snapshot. 
Number one, and we read about this in Philippians, he sacrificed his reputation and his advancement in his career completely. He was a Pharisee moving forward in Judaism. I mean, he was well-respected, and he gave all that up. He basically started over with all these people that he's preaching to still that no longer like him because of what he's done. He gave all that up. And as he gave that up, why? Okay, this is very important. He gave it up for Jesus. Now, you would expect when he makes that kind of sacrifice, have you ever made a sacrifice for the Lord? Just raise your hand. Have you ever made a sacrifice for the Lord in any way? All right. You would expect that if you make that kind of sacrifice, things should go well, right? God's going to take care of you, right? I just look at Paul's life. He has a catalog of things. The guy has had to be snuck out of cities to save his life. He has been starved. He has been beaten. He has been rejected. He has been shipwrecked. He's had to sleep on the dirt because he had nowhere to go. He was stoned one time. Have you ever been stoned? And not by the drug. (laughs) If you have, you should go to Colorado. Paul has been through a lot. Even though he sacrificed a lot, and then as he went through his life, most of these were sacrifices. Like, God, I'm going to keep going even though these things keep happening, and yet they keep happening. I mean, at some point, have I not sacrificed enough that you would stop these bad things? But they keep happening. This is the man who, even as he's writing this letter, He's in a Roman prison, and he is still saying, in any and all circumstances, I am content. How in the world is that possible? Paul has a secret. It is a big secret. I mean, huge, gigantic. It is going to answer all of your questions. It is as big as time travel, if you could discover that. It's as big as getting your young children to eat vegetables and sleep through the night. It is that big. It's as big as getting your husband to pick up his clothes, come home on time, and stop drinking so much beer. It's that big. Are you ready? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I was totally deflated when I read that. I mean, just to be honest, I read that and I thought, really? That, that, that's your big secret. That's how you accomplish this. What I felt like, it's like I had gone to marriage counseling with my wife and the counselor said, here's the secret. Love. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm paying you $200 an hour for that. But that's what it felt like. Come on, Paul, there's got to be more than that. I mean, that's it. That's your big, huge, giant. I want to tell you a little bit about the secret of Nim. 
Because Mrs. Brisby had this experience, this kind of like, that's it. She is trying to figure out what to do. How do I save my family? And she is encouraged that the only place that you can find the answer is to go and visit the owl, the wise owl. Now, understandably, she has some concerns because what do owls eat? Mice. And when this scene opens up in, in the animated film, it is dark. The owl is like 18 times the size of the mouse. There are cobwebs everywhere. The bones of the other creatures that the owl has eaten are all over the place. And as Mrs. Brisby begins to talk, a moth flutters by, and the owl snaps its jaws over the, mouth, over the moth. Now you can imagine this poor little mouse who says, because it's for my kids, I'm going to do it anyway. And she says to this owl, my Timothy is sick, but the plow is coming early this year. And at that point... The owl interrupts the mouse and says, move your home. And the mouse, and the owl shakes and bones fall from the ceiling all around the mouse. The mouse goes, yes, yes, but, but Timothy is sick and I can't move him. And the owl bends down and has these giant gold eyes with no pupils bends down and goes, move your house to safety. If I am that mouse at that point, I go postal on that big owl. <laughs> really? Move my house? You think I couldn't have thought of that? Yes, I could. It's a cinder block and I'm a mouse. I'm this big. Like, what kind of answer is that? I am a mouse. I am not a moron, you big dumb owl. Tell me something useful. That's exactly, as I'm watching this little scene, I'm thinking, have you ever just like gotten so fed up that you're like, I don't care anymore about the consequences of it? I feel that a little bit. And I know I'm going on about this, but like, Paul is saying one thing. Paul is saying that this is my contentment, whether I am being beaten by rods, shipwrecked, or I've had the greatest success of my life. I am still finding my contentment in this thing. And I'm looking at that thing and I'm going, I need more. Like, I need something else. I need, like, steps or I need something more tangible or that can't be it. And Paul says, the secret of my contentment, God strengthens me. Now, if you buy into the idea that Paul really has gone through a whole lot, and Paul believes this actually does work, then for a moment, let's break it down. Let's, let's give it some real thought. Could this really work? Whatever circumstance you're thinking of right now, whatever you're going through at this point, or maybe you just went through it, 
Or maybe you're looking into the future a little bit and you know it's coming. What if you could have contentment? What if you could know peace in that? Let's break it down. Number one, here's what he does not say. He does not say God gives strength to him. He says God strengthens him. And this is distinct in this way. He doesn't take it as a gift and go, boom, here you go, and then God walks away, and boom, Paul's just ready to take anything on. Because I think often that's what we're looking for. What we want is for there to be no more struggle. What we want is just to feel that, okay, boom, God has made me completely at peace with all things, and it's all good. That's not what he says, though. It's the difference between putting your 10-year-old on your lap and letting them drive with you and handing your 10-year-old the keys, okay? This is not handing your 10-year-old the keys. This is God saying, I'm strengthening you, but I'm doing it. It's my presence. I'm there with you. Number one, right? The strength. Number two, strengthen here does not have the idea of like obliterating the competition. It doesn't have the idea of succeeding like last night when the world record was set for the swimming by five seconds. It does not have that in mind, right? What it has in mind is simply overcoming. Here's what Paul says. When I come to this circumstance... God strengthens me that I may overcome. I may overcome by 10 feet. I may overcome by a little tiny footstep, but I overcome. And number three, and what I think is the most significant thing, he says it twice in the passage, I learned this. I learned this secret. It wasn't something that happened to me. It wasn't something that like I stumbled upon. It was something that I learned. How? Here's what I believe Paul happened in Paul's life. I believe Paul looked back and he saw all of the circumstances he should not have gotten through in the way that he did. He saw all the things that happened in his life that he thought, man, that should not have turned out like that. Man, I should not have been able to make it through that. And every single time, he did. And he did it in such a way that it was more than he would ever have expected. And Paul looks back and he goes, God has always strengthened me to get through whatever it is I'm going through. And now I can say with perfect contentment, he will do it again. And he will keep doing it. Paul's contentment is not, oh, this isn't hard anymore. Paul's contentment is not, oh, nothing matters, no big deal. You know, I'm a caught, I forgot how to say it. The Lion King thing. Yes, Akuna Matata. Um, it is not, that's really bad. When you just, it's not any of that. It is 
faith based on history. It is trust that what has been the pattern in my life over and over and over and over and over again will be the pattern this time. My daughter broke her wrist doing gymnastics. And I picked her up quite often when she was doing gymnastics. Four days a week, pick her up in the evenings, and every time she would walk out of that building, I was in the parking lot. And she just had to look around and find my car. All the other parents were waiting there too for their kids to come out and take them home. One time, I was late. And I mean, I, I was like five minutes late. I mean, I'm pretty late. When I got there, there weren't a ton of cars even left in the parking. I mean, I was pretty late. My daughter freaked. Now, my daughter is a little bit melodramatic. I've heard that happens around that age. She's a little bit melodramatic, but I mean, she was scared and freaking out, and she got in the car, and she's like, Daddy, I didn't think you were coming. I didn't think you were going to pick me up. I thought I was going to have to stay here. I didn't know what to do. And she's just losing it. Now, I understand why a 10-year-old might be frightened. If your dad shows up all the time over and over again, and one night everybody's being taken away and you don't see him anywhere, and your dad sometimes is late to things, you might be scared. But I also told her, I said, honey, have I ever not picked you up? Ever. Is there ever a time where I didn't show up, even if it was a late, if it, I didn't show up to take you home? Is there ever a time when something was going on in your life with school or friends or something that if you came to me, I didn't try and help you through it? Is there ever a time where I just went, ah, I don't care, I'm done. You just do it on your own. And in tears, because she's so scared, she says, no. Why would you think I'd do it this time? You see, we have two options. I really don't think there's a third. Two options. You can respond out of a lack of knowledge driven by fear, or you can respond out of a faith that comes from the history of God working in your life. Is there ever a time he has truly let you down, no matter what it is? Or has it been the pattern of God always coming through in some way, always giving you some amount of strength, even, again, even if it all it was was just to take that little tiny step to get past the line, but overcoming every time. Paul says, I found the secret of contentment. I am strengthened by God, and I've learned that is always what God does. And, just to add to that, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me 
in giving and receiving except only you. Um, you guys, Philippians, you know all the trouble I went through. You know the struggles, and you know that even while I was at another church ministering, you guys sent me money. Could you imagine if Christ Church paid my salary? It'd be awesome for our budget. Here's Paul. I mean, that, that's how I'm saying. You guys, even you were paying me even while I was at another church. Hey, I recognize what you guys have done. I'm grateful for it. It's awesome. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. He, he wants to make sure that, like, they're not seeing some undercurrent. Like, yeah, you know how you supported me a whole bunch of times in the past, and you did it when I was in need, and, well... It's not what he's doing, and he makes it very clear. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. What I seek is the eternal reward that you are gaining as you support the ministry. It's not what it did for me personally so much as, honestly, what your gift, though it helped me, it's what it's doing for you as you are sacrificing, as you are giving. I have received full payments and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. I am well supplied now. I got what you guys gave me. Thank you so much. I am well supplied. It was a fragrant offering, an sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And here's his last thing. Where does contentment come from? God strengthens, number one, And my God will supply, that is the same word as up in verse 18, where he says, I'm well supplied, my God will do the same. Uh, Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to God our our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Number two, whatever need you have, God will supply. Need, not want, which is, you know, really have to explain that to kids a lot. The difference between what you need and what you want, because there is no want with kids. It's everything is a need. This morning, there was the need for a toy that my child has not played with for over a year. I know because we got rid of it. And he was freaking out because he wanted this toy right now. Need versus want. I was preparing part of this message in South Dakota at a Dunn Brothers coffee shop. And I am sitting there and I'm doing my work and there are four booths in this coffee shop. Then there are some comfy chairs and some tables. Four booths. A lady walks in. She grabs a newspaper off the stand. She goes over, she gets into line. And at this point, we're not very far apart. She looks around, and she looks at the booths, and she gets this disgusted look on her face. She puts the newspaper back and walks out. I could only think one thing. For her, sitting at a booth was a need, not a want. So much so that she was willing to leave and go to another coffee shop because she couldn't get a booth. That... There were really comfy chairs over there, and she was by herself. She could have sat in a really comfy chair and read her newspaper. The differences between our wants and our needs. 
whatever need you have, God supplies. And you probably all have stories or even a story like this. Last month, Heather Harris had a really bad month. Medical bills, somebody broke into her home and stole from her. Her car broke down. And she just, all this money went out and she had nothing left. Recently, she was trying to buy clothes and new booster seats for her two daughters. Now, they didn't need new booster seats, but they were getting pretty bad. They were going to have to have them really soon. But when she saw the price of the booster seats and the clothes, she knew she could not afford both of them, especially with everything that just happened. So she talked to her daughters, and they wanted new clothes, not a new booster seat. They would go with the old ratty one for a little longer, and so she got them the clothes. As they were checking out, a man walked up to her and said, here, and handed her the two booster seats. Now, she was in such shock that she didn't, like, get the guy's name. She didn't do anything initially. She just was like, I can't believe this just happened to me. Later on, she tracked him down, and then there was an article done on him, just a little short one. He was about to lose his job next week. He was being laid off. But he happened to be standing while this lady was talking to her kids, and he heard the pain in her voice telling her children, I can't provide this for you. And so he went and he bought the two booster seats that they put back and gave to this lady. Both of these people are believers. The lady even talked about God providing, and this guy that was losing his job, he's a youth pastor. So he also doesn't make any money. But God provides, and this is the thing the passage doesn't say, it doesn't tell you how, it doesn't tell you when, it doesn't tell you what. It is totally left open. The landscape has nothing in it. It just says, whatever your needs are, he provides. Now, just take those two things. Literally, I can look out at you, and I, can, I know a half dozen families right now that are going through really really hard things. God strengthens his people. God supplies their needs. And he always has. Will you rest in that or in all of the unknowns as you think about I can't do this. Yeah, you're right. You probably can't. I don't know how this is going to work out. You're right. You probably don't. I can see, if you're like me, I can see all the ways that it could turn really bad. I mean, I can envision all of the negatives. But none of that is as solid as what God has already done in your life throughout your life. Which one will you trust which one will you hold on to? Because in what God has done, 
there is a certain contentment of doing this. This sucks. And I don't have an answer. But my God has always worked. Man, I wonder what he's going to do this time. I wonder how it's going to turn out this time. Because he's always brought me through. And he always will. Where do you go? What do you rely on? Paul's final greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The book of Philippians is a book on joy in trials. It's a book on being unified as the body of Christ, no matter what you are going through. It's a book that a person who himself is really, really going through something hard can say out of his experience, I get your pain, I get your doubt, but we as the body can still come together. We as the body and as individuals can still know contentment, can still know joy, even in our pain, because God is working. I will end with this. For the next few weeks, you will get in every sermon something from the Olympics. <laughs> May go long after the Olympics, I don't know, but I just, I love the stories. And, and I've got to tell one of the stories because when you talk about what it means to be, and this is for the whole book, not just the sermon, but when you talk about what it means to be unified, to sacrifice for one another, and to trust God to strengthen you to do what may be beyond what you're able to do on your own. This epitomizes that. Last night in men's gymnastics, how many of you watched the Olympics last night? Only a couple. Well, hopefully I don't ruin anything. But um, In men's gymnastics, on the floor, hey, remember, eight teams, eight nations move on. So we're in the preliminaries, only eight. And the way that it is set up is you've got your gymnasts and you get to knock out the lowest score. So in the qualifying rounds, Andreas Toba of Germany, while he was on the floor, did a flip, landed, and his knee shot out, and he tore his ACL. Fell to the ground, clenching his knee. They had to come out, they had to pull him off. Well, that's one of their gymnasts, which means if he can't compete, they have to take the scores of every one of the gymnasts. Nobody can mess up. And Germany at that point was right at the cusp of qualifying. You know what he did? He went and competed on the pommel horse. And I mean, and, and you, you, can, you can go see the video, like he's limping to get out there. And then he pulls himself up on the horse because it's all arm strength. And he goes through the entire routine except for one part of it. And you can just cringe now because there's one element of the pommel horse that is not arm strength. You have to dismount. 
And so he's going through all of this stuff, and then he comes off, and he hits, and, oh, and you just see it on his face. But does it, comes out, helps, gets helped off the mat. Why did he compete? Because he was part of a team. And he would give anything to make sure that team could get as far as it could get. And Germany came in eighth and they qualified. But I thought this was amazing. Every time I read these stories, I go and research the people. It's really hard to find information on this guy. All I could find was his Facebook page in German. But because Facebook is so amazing, they will translate it for you. Like you can hit down, translate certain sections of it. And here's what you see throughout his Facebook page. The praying icon is posted throughout, and he's saying, God help me. And you go all the way down to February 4th, he had surgery on his knee. And he, in the thing, as he's recovering, he says, may God Almighty help me to strengthen and recover. This guy did, at a gymnastics level, what we are called to do as believers, to give ourselves to one another because of what we can do as a body and to be willing to trust God for strength to do things that we have no business doing. But with his strength, we can get through and we can know contentment as we trust. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, that you would use him to teach us and to encourage us, to inspire us. Lord, may we take the basic message of this little book on contentment, on joy and trust, on unified, being unified as a body. Lord, and, and walk out of here today and put this into practice. For your sake, for your kingdom, in Christ's holy name, amen.